Welcome to this workshop. I'm Libby, and I'm a compulsive overeater, and the, mod and the moderator for this session. Uh, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. The format for this session is as follows. Three speakers, 20 minutes each, followed by 15 minutes of questions and answers, finishing up with a 15-minute period for open sharing. This session is being taped, so you will need to sign the tape release form if you are sharing. Please turn off all cell phones for the duration of the meeting, and remember that this is against our tradition of, this is, a, I can't even read, and remember that is against our tradition of anonymity to take photos during the meeting. The topic for this session is abstinence and food planning. Our first speaker is Anne. Uh, I'm Anne. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, could we all start with the serenity prayer since uh, I'm sure we're all a little nervous? Uh, God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So um, I've been coming to OA since 1981, and uh, so as of June yesterday, I um, have 25 years, but... but and uh, of March of 82, after I was in, I lost my weight, 35 to 40 pounds, and have been able to keep that off. And um, I, although as I go into my story, I'll explain why I count my abstinence, my long-term absence from 1983. And I'll explain that as I go along. And what it was like, what it was like. Well, my first, and I learned more about my food history as I went along in this program. There's so much that I could not remember till I had gone along in this program for a while and talked to other people, did the steps. And my first thought, I can remember my grandmother and the warmth of her and her giving me what I call comfort foods, which I don't eat today, but at the time they just, it just was so good for me, and it did so much for me. And then um, when I was entering puberty, and we would stay at my aunt and uncle's down in Los Altos, uh, several things happened. I had a cousin a little bit older than I, and she was very glamorous. And I always aspired to be like her, but I was, you know, a little chunky then, not terribly overweight. And what would happen was my aunt at lunchtime would fix things for the dinner. There was going to be eight of us, like, for dinner. My sister and I would stay there during the summer while my mother worked. So she fixed, this is my chocolate pudding story, she fixed chocolate pudding for dinner. And while she was back in the tank house candling eggs the afternoon, I went into the refrigerator and ate one chocolate pudding and skimmed that top over the others, which I just loved. 
Now, when it was time to serve it, there was one missing. And she asked, my sister and I, you know, my sister didn't even like sweets, you know, at all. So they knew it was me. But you know how I felt then? And I just told my cousin Evelyn this a few months ago. I would never, never admit that I had eaten that pudding, even though it shows you I had a child's mind. Logically, I was the only one. And they could have cut my little finger off. I just wouldn't have told them, you know. So anyhow, I went along, and what happened was I went to work in a creamery. And that's the summer I started putting on weight, between 13 and 14 years of age. You know, every day my skinny friend and I would sit there, and I would have, you know, I don't know if we mentioned food, do we? Okay. Uh, I would have maybe a sundae or a milkshake or whatever. So I put on a lot of weight that summer, and um, the other gal did, but I probably, she probably didn't eat, but I ate everything. So by the time I was 14, my top weight, and my first picture in my picture book that's going around, my top weight was 192 pounds. Um, fortunately, for today, I've never gotten there again. But anyhow, what happened was I was in another creamery, not the one I worked in, and one of the high school football players brushed my arm, and I thought, oh, this is it. I've got to lose weight. So I went on my own self-imposed diet, and I lost like 30 pounds in no time and more after that. I don't know. It seemed like five or six weeks it was off. But what happened was I got, I got sick after that. And I remember saying in my mind, I will never diet like this again. Fortunately, for a couple of years, I kept the weight off, and I had a ball. Those last few years in high school, I just loved, you know. Every Friday night in San Francisco, there was a dance to go to. And if we were lucky, we had a date on Saturday night. So it was just a fun time. Well, my senior year in high school, I started, uh, you know, when you're young, you have all these chaos and you know, these little love affairs, and I was sort of heartbroken over one of them, started to put weight on again. And when I met Prince Charming in the fall, after I got out, I was working and going to business college, um, I had gained weight. And uh, But in the 17 months we went together, I took it all off, and I was my lowest when we got married, 128 pounds. That's the lowest I ever remember in many a year. So anyhow, we got married, we started to have our family, and I remember my mother's neighbor saying, I don't know why you bought all those clothes, because you'll never get into them after you have that baby. Well, I did. For about 18 years, I kept having children, and, and I got back into the clothes. In fact, some of them I had all that time, until I went someplace and realized how out of date I was, you know. And so, um, and the reason for that was another compulsive habit, I smoked. And then um, later on, as I went, I had a lot of chronic problems because of the smoking. Uh, lung problems, you know, bad colds, asthma, bronchitis. But even after I had pneumonia one year, I still smoked, even in the hospital, belligerent. And then uh, the following year when I had bronchitis, I just felt, you know, doctor said it's chronic, 
And I was just annoyed, you know, and I thought, hmm. But somehow or other, I figured that's when my God stepped in. My God stepped in and helped me at that point. Because when I went home, I was not willing, but I never smoked again. And that's been many years. And the reason I mention that is because, I don't know if any of you smoke, but all those little follicles, all the things in my lungs, they came back, and I hardly ever have any kind of lung, lung problems after all the years I stopped smoking. I had the problem this year, the first time I think in 40 years I've ever had a problem with my lungs again. So then um, I put on a little bit of weight after that, and, and then when I had my last child in 71, when I came home into the, from the hospital, I was the same as when I went in, and I couldn't understand that because I always seemed to lose the weight, you know, rather quickly. But anyhow, I kept that weight for 10 years. Um, you know, I didn't have any health problems. The lung thing was all gone, and I was heavy. I was, you know, almost 40 pounds heavier than, uh, than I had been, and um, I'd look at pictures and think, that isn't me because I feel great. I was active, you know. We had all these kids, and we were doing things all the time. If we weren't camping, we were playing tennis, we were walking, we were hiking. So, and I'd look, and I couldn't understand, you know, uh, what it was. When you're a quantity eater, you understand it has, have you, has you go along. So anyhow, uh, I belonged to another 12-step program, and one of the gals was coming to an OA meeting and invited me. So this is what happened. Uh, I went with her. I had been, uh, when the speaker said, I'm in, I'm a compulsive overeater, uh, I just thought, ugh, you know, I, it didn't thrill me at all. I didn't like the sound of it. And then when the person who was very thin would get up there and speak, I'd think, they were never heavy, you know. Um, I just was resistant, you know, until they showed me their pictures, and then I thought, oh, okay. So the only reason I kept coming back to Overeaters Anonymous was because I know 12 steps work. In my immediate family, there are members in recovery in other 12 steps program, and they've been in recovery for years. That's what kept me coming back, knowing and even in my own life, the 12 steps helped me so much in another area. So I knew it worked. So I kept coming back. And this, what happened was, um, the first thing that happened um, was I gave up sugar on my own. I was hearing sponsor, but then I went on vacation. I went with my hiking friends. We went down to Lake Arrowhead. And a gal that never hiked with us before or since happened to be my roommate, and guess what? She was in this program. There was my divine interference again. So I had so many questions to ask her because I knew so little. I only had been to maybe three or four OA meetings. And so I had a lot of questions, and generally we don't cook on these trips, but because of where we were, we did a little more cooking, and this OA member had planned all the meals. Of course, she ate one special thing every morning, nothing to do with what we ate, but I watched her like a hawk, you know, and so when I came back, you know, I gave up the sugar, I asked this woman to be my sponsor, 
I am so grateful to my first sponsor because we talked about what I was going on, and we did have the dignity of choice then, so I chose the basic four, it was called. And she was on a different food plan, but she took me, and I was grateful because it didn't seem where I was going. There was that many sponsors. And so I would, you know, talk it over with her, then I would write down my food plan, and I would call it in every morning. It sounded silly to me, but after a while I realized how freeing it was, you know, when I gave her my food plan. And she might offer suggestions in the morning, and sometimes not. And the first time she told me when the family, my family, my sons, who were all in sports, most of them, and I had to fix these humongous meals for them, you know, uh, so I was having spaghetti. She said, I'll take some bean sprouts and steam them. You put a little bit of that sauce, you, homemade sauce you make on them. And I thought, bean sprouts? You know, oh, God, give me a break, you know. But anyhow, I found out I enjoyed them. And the thing is, I always enjoyed vegetables because my grandfather was in the produce business, so I was, you know, used to vegetables and fruits. Unless you get into the sweets, then that kind of goes by the wayside, you know. So anyhow, uh, she took me for 21 days. She gave me a lot of hints. She never went into her kitchen after dinner at night. Uh, if she was really bothered, she soaked in the tub, you know. She took a bath. I mean, a lot of good little hints she gave me. Then she said, get on the steps. And I said, steps? I've already done them. She said, do them again, you know. And which has been a continuing process, and I needed to do them around this program, you know. And um, so I did the steps. Then she has since moved away. I didn't have a sponsor for a while. And at Christmas time, while I was still losing the weight of that year of 81, we always used to have the Italian feast at our house with everything you can imagine. And then when we were finished, everybody sort of lays back and takes a nap before dessert. And then there was dessert. Then after that, the seized candy came out. Oh, I'm telling you, I was so righteous and disgusted with all of them that I ended up going to bed. I thought, you know, this was just one Christmas, you know. I don't know how they could eat all that after all they'd eaten, you know. So anyhow, uh after that, for till 1983, what happened in 83 was um, I got to that point where I plateaued, and I kept thinking, well, you know, I'm different, I'm unique, I don't have all those problems you all have. And so I started uh, experimenting and trying different things. Now, I wasn't doing this on a daily basis. You know, maybe I'd have an extra helping because I'm a quantity eater. You put anything in front of me, there's not many foods I don't like that I'm going to eat a lot of it, you know, no matter what it is. And uh, so I lost my train of thought for a minute. So anyhow, um, I was doing a little experimenting for about three or four months. Then I got back on program, got another sponsor who I have today, and she's a wonderful spiritual lady. I don't want to go too much in this because um, so I can get to what it's like now. Um, my program, what my program is, I have a food plan 
and uh, exercise is still very important to me. I still hike with these women, but not all of them are around anymore. But I still hike on a regular basis in Wren County on Wednesdays. I swim twice a week. That's all part of my program. My husband and I walk every day. And uh, I really consider this a threefold disease, you know, uh, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And um, um, what happened a few years ago, I'll just mention this, uh, I was diagnosed with arthritis. And I've still been this healthy person, except for my two progressive diseases, arthritis and compulsive overeating. Low blood pressure, you know, no cholesterol problems and that. So I was angry at first because I was having some difficulty with my legs and my feet. Couldn't be as intense with the exercise. I was really angry. Thought I'd put on weight. Didn't put it on then, but a year ago I started, you know, to put on three or four pounds. And it was five or six. I don't think I went over seven. But all those are little signs, you know, to me. And uh, I know I'm not as intense, you know when I'm exercising. But um, I have to, acceptance is such a big part of this program. And so I'm going to get down to the final thing here. Uh, I'm looking here because I, you know, I'm always so afraid I'm going to forget things, and I do. Um, so this is what my, my day is like. I get up in the morning, and I do I do my stretches right away. I do all that. Then I sit down and do my prayer meditation. I've already said a little prayer in bed, but then I get up and I do my prayer meditation, and uh, and then after that, and sometimes I do that prayer meditation on my way to my walk to my church, and um, and then after that. You know, I'll go for a walk. But I've had so many gifts in this program from all of you sharing your experiences. There's a lot of self-respect I think we have for all of us in all levels of recovery. And my spiritual life, I thought my spiritual life was pretty good, but it's gotten much deeper. And I really, that phrase, I'm a spiritual being, you know, uh, in a, a spiritual person, a human being too, but... Uh, I think what I see, too, in all of you is that feeling of God within all of you, you know. There's something just so comforting about being here, you know. And uh, I've been blessed. I'm still with Prince Charming. And uh, I have eight beautiful children, and they have lovely spouses. And I have 14 grandchildren. And... Um, it's not all um, it's not all special, you know. We have two two grandchildren that have a terminal illness, and that's been really hard to deal with. But you know, it's like this program. There's this terrible illness that these girls have, and people come out of the walls to help my son, his wife, and the family. It's just like here how we help each other. And it's beautiful to see how people from all over help them. So I feel like I've been very blessed, and I've been a little nervous.
is about being here. The other thing I do, I'll mention, is I write things down sometimes when I'm doing my prayer meditation. And this one says, simple guidelines. That was one thing. What do I need to do to maintain abstinence? Hope and hopelessness are part of my disease. And I like to have all these little sayings to remind me of where I am today. And instead of, you know, a person that did a lot of planning and everything, um, it isn't that I don't plan, but it's not upsetting if it doesn't, my goals aren't reached. I've had anger and resentment in this program. Uh, I had a terrible resentment a couple of years ago, and I was doing everything that's suggested here. You know, I talked to people, I prayed, I wrote it down. I was just not getting anywhere. And finally, I had asked this son of mine that's a minister to take me aside. He didn't know what was going on. told him about it, and we prayed together. He put his hands on my shoulder, and I put it on his. And this resentment, not right then, but the next morning, was removed, you know. So um, I've had things. I've had a temper tantrum when I got abstinence that first six months. A real temper tantrum because I'm the type of person, I don't like conflict. And so rather than have conflict, I kept all my anger underneath. Well, it came forth, you know. As I got absent, my anger came forth. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I try and do things, you know, differently now. since. And I'm so grateful for all of you and anybody that's new. It works. Just keep coming back. Thank you. Thank you, Ann. Uh, where is the ask it basket? Is it going around? Oh, it, it's, getting, it's making its way good. Okay, just checking. Okay, good. Um, make sure it gets up and down all the roads, and at the end we'll, we'll be collecting it up here. Our next speaker is Wendy. Hi, good morning. My name is Wendy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, everyone. I'm so grateful to be here. Um, and because this is being taped, I really want to qualify today. Um, again, I'm Wendy. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm from the San Fernando Valley Intergroup, which is down south. <laughs> Thank you. Yay. All right. I am five foot three and a half. I am 35 years old. My top known weight is 223 pounds. I'm down approximately 83 pounds from that weight today. Thank you to Overeaters Anonymous and God. And, um, you know, it's been quite a journey. I came into these rooms in January of 1994, and um, the, lowest, the lowest weight that I know that I hit, I, I don't really care much for scales. I don't know about you guys, but the lowest weight that I hit was um, about 154 pounds, and then I had a very sneaky, subtle relapse and declared I'm in relapse, 1997, um, and I count my abstinence back from then. But... Um, I don't want to spend too much time on what it was like, exactly what happened. That will all sort of come into play because I feel it's really important to stick to the topic here. And for those of you who are struggling and those of you who are new, I really want to talk to you about, for me, the difference between an abstinence and a food plan. It is very black and white for the alcoholic. The alcoholic puts the plug in the jug. He or she doesn't drink. The cocaine addict doesn't snort coke. For us, it's very nebulous. What is abstinence? What is food planning? Um, you know, for me, in my life today, I was thinking about it yesterday. I was thinking, what is my primary purpose in life? Is it to love and to be loved? And I was like, no, you know what? For today, my primary purpose is to abstain from compulsively overeating and to carry this message to those who still suffer, you know? And I suffered for many years inside the program because my head wanted me to suffer. My disease wanted me to suffer. 
Um, you know, the food plan is a tool. Abstinence is the goal of this program. We want to abstain. This program is simple. It's 12 steps. It's eight tools. We have 12 traditions. But it is not easy. It is never easy. So i got to warn you about that, you know. I'm a very stubborn, unwilling, resentful person by nature. And I, for me, I had to take action before I became willing. Very, very, very stubborn person. So um, let me tell you a little bit about my early abstinence. Okay, my early abstinence and my food plan were all one big blob. It was a lot of rules. It was a lot of regulations. It was things like no cheese, no creamy sauce, no red meat. Well, I never really had a problem with red meat and, um, you know, this kind of stuff, but I'm very stubborn. I would hear so many people in the rooms, especially in the Valley, because I came into the meetings in the city. People would talk about actually weighing and measuring all foods or certain foods. Well, I didn't want to be told I had to do anything. But see, this program doesn't tell me I have to do anything, right? It doesn't say to me you can't have flour or sugar. You know, when my dear mother, who's sitting in the front row, I might add, um, you know, when she came in, you guys had gray sheets. It was no flour. It was no sugar. It was completely black and white. And, you know, I can respect that they tried to make a black and white program, but we are all individuals. We all need a different abstinence. We all need a different food plan. So in this early abstinence, I took off weight. I ate three meals a day. I didn't eat anything in between. You know, I started exercising. I began working these steps. I learned to find a higher power, you know, very imperfectly because I was I wasn't really raised with the concept of God. And um, I took off the weight. And for a change, I didn't feel angry or resentful when people commented or when my body was changing, whereas I did in high school when I took off the 50 pounds through diet and, like, you know, carefully writing down my calories every single day. So... Um, this early abstinence worked for a time, but like the big book says, I really failed to enlarge my spiritual life. I did about three meetings a week. I was sponsoring gals. I was being sponsored. I was doing the work, but I was only halfway there. I wasn't really in it. I didn't know that – I don't think I really grasped that I have a debilitating disease which really wants to kill me. We live with something that wants to kill us every single day. And it may not manifest in the food. It may manifest just in the negative thinking that seeps in and really wants to kill your spirit. And so, you know, I took off the weight, and I thought, oh, you know, I can take a little bit back of this, the stuff that, you know, hey, you know, I'm 154, man. You know, it's cool. It's cool. I can just have a little bit of this, you know, table bread. Well, guess what? You know, I had to realize, it says in our OA 12 and 12, 12, we had to abstain from certain foods and eating behaviors, okay? Um, I didn't really realize that. So when I started putting the weight back on, didn't want to step on the God forbid it should actually be, you know, clarify that I put the weight back on. I decided to try an everyone else's food plan. So I talked to my friend. Well, what are you doing? You know, she's a goal weight. What the heck did you do? She didn't eat bread. She didn't eat pasta. Awesome. I'm going to try that. For six months, I'm not going to eat bread. I'm not going to eat pasta. I'm going to have a pound of rice at every sitting. I'm going to eat as many french fries as I can stuff into my mouth. Yeah, that really worked. Then I talked to another friend. Well, why don't you try a nutritionist? Cool. So I went and I saw a nutritionist. Sweet woman, weighed about 98 pounds. My first clue should have been that she was an AA, but just took her cakes once a year. She didn't go to the meetings anymore because she didn't really need to go to the meetings. I mean, she stopped drinking and all, right? So she'd say things like, hey, Wendy, if you want some bread at dinner, have a piece. If you feel like having dessert with your boyfriend, share it and have less of your actual meal. Well, this worked for a time, but, you know, and so I'd sit in my meetings, my three meetings a week, and I kept reading, there were certain things that we needed to abstain from. And I thought, that's okay for all of them, but I can be a moderate eater, you know. I think recently, World Service, they've changed the wording up. Some can eat all foods more moderately. 
And I think that plays into a lot of people's fantasies. And I'm not saying that he can't eat all foods moderately or she can't. I'm saying I, Wendy Weisberg, cannot eat all foods moderately. I would love to. That is my ultimate fantasy. But it's a fantasy. It's a joke. It's never going to happen. You know, how many times do we read in the book, big book, oh, I just, I thought if I put a little, you know, milk in the whiskey, it would be okay. I thought if I just had one drink, because I've been so good for like two years, it doesn't work like that, you know. So, um... So I'm trying on everyone's food plans. I'm trying the nutritionist. You know, I'm wanting to change, but I'm not willing to change. I'm not taking any actions to change. And I've been with my same sponsor now. Um, gosh, we've been together probably about six or seven years. I don't know. And one day in the fall of 04, I think it was maybe either just before I bought my house or I, I don't know, just around that time frame. And I just want to say this program has given me so many blessings. I mean, so many blessings on paper. You could go, oh, wow, this, this chick has a great life. You know, she's self-employed. She owns a house. She's in a loving relationship. I have so many gifts on paper, you know. But the really biggest gift is that I got was a connection with my higher power. Um, so I'm sitting with my sponsor, and I say, you know, and I'm going to talk about food. I said, you know, man, I just have a bagel and cream cheese every morning. That is my breakfast every morning. And she said to me, do you think there's maybe something else you could try? Can you, can you do something else? And I said, I guess so. You know, because I knew that, you know, my subconscious speaks to me in my dreams. And, and sometimes, you know, when something really it comes to the surface or if I feel something in my back, it's something that I've got to deal with. So I knew that I really didn't want to have the damn bagel and cream cheese every morning for breakfast because I was kind of a slave to it. So I made that tiny little step, and I decided thinking, okay, maybe I can make little tiny steps, and maybe, you know, I don't have to poo-poo everyone who says, well, you know, I do this, I do that with my food, because I really thought that I could just do this program, and I didn't really need a food plan, you know. It says some people plan their meals. Well, that's some people. That some person it didn't have to be me, you know. I could have seen I'd taken off the weight before, so, you know, I call those my program light years between – 97 and 04, and, and then my, when I talked to my sponsor, when I really started this active food plan and abstinence, I said, you know, do you think I should start over? She said, no, not necessarily, because you were abstaining from stuff, and I was periodically abstaining from certain things, um, but I wasn't abstaining from the crappy thinking and the laziness and not wanting to take action. So my sponsor says to me um, at the end of that year, hey, I got a new sponsor, and she tells me who it is, and it's this long timer, this fabulous woman in the valley you know, like 16 years of abstinence, 100-pounder, goal weight, you know, circuit speaker, blah, blah, blah. Someone who I'm terrified of, you know. I was terrified. And she said, we're doing five meetings a week. We're weighing once a week, and we're really going to get into that big book. And I was terrified. I was like, oh, man, you know. I, I almost wanted to quit over this. I, I, I'm, or quit with this sponsor, you know, find an easier, softer way. But I decided to try it, you know. And then um, there, are no pro there are no gurus in this program, but I have to say that something that was very pivotal in my program, at least in the abstinence and food plan part, was going to hear a workshop. Um, this was uh, in January of 05 at the Los Angeles birthday party, the Los Angeles Intergroup birthday party, called the ABCs of Abstinence. And it was explained to me, this is just how one person has chosen to see her program, that abstinence is black and white, it doesn't change. The food plan is different, it varies. So for today, my abstinence is three meals a day, one to three snacks. That probably sounds like a lot of food to some people, you know, but I'm very active. I didn't used to exercise, and my, my snacks have boundaries. My snacks, I'm not a calorie counter. I don't do the points. You know, I hear a lot of people talking about the points in the valley, and, you know, part of me, my, I'm stubborn. My resentment grows. But you know what? 
the big book says easy does it live and let live. If points work for somebody, if they want to follow a commercial food plan and that works for them, that's awesome. If that's all they're doing and they're not working the steps, they might not be in the right place. Or maybe they need to just work that food plan initially before they're willing to start doing the steps because this is a spiritual program, as my sponsor continues to remind me. So I take this workshop, you know, this ABCs thing, and I realize I really get down to basics, and I go, oh, God, okay. i got to be so honest here. I'm just peeking at the time there. i got to be so honest. What, what is my heroin? What is it that I really, really can't eat like a lady? Okay? I cannot eat table bread like a lady. I cannot eat french fries or tortilla chips and baskets like a lady. You know, the food plan is a whole big other issue, you know, um, I pretty much, you know, I don't need to get into all, if you want to ask me specifics, whatever. But, you know, my, because I don't count the calories, my, like, I have boundaries around certain things. You know, the snacks are about 200 calories. That's the only thing that I really pay a ton of attention to calories on because, for me, my snacks can't turn into a meal because that's not being honest in my program. And, you know, it was just tiny little actions. Maybe, I don't even remember, maybe it's been a year, I finally said, you know what, ugh, maybe I'm going to get one of those food scales. Because if you say to me, I have a bowl of cereal in the morning, you, you, I'm going to have a bowl. This is, this is going to be a humongous bowl. But that's not a portion. And if I wanted to have some weight loss again, as scary as I thought it would be, I needed to actually do this stuff. You know, and I told you I'm slothful by nature. I don't want to exercise. Please, you know. But I like in my time on the treadmill. And when I'm on the treadmill, I think of those, who, my brothers and sisters in the program, those who can't quite exercise yet or, or, you know, people who have physical problems. I'm doing it for them. And like life, the exercise is sometimes uncomfortable. It's not freaking comfortable to be running and sweating on the treadmill, and I want to stop, and I want to stop. Just kind of like, I want to stop doing this program. I don't want to, you know, have three meals and one to three snacks. I just want to eat whatever the hell I want, whatever the hell I want to. But if I do that, I'm listening to the disease, which very inconveniently speaks to me in my own voice. Um, and that's not, that's not so cool, you know. Um, so uh, it, it's just amazing, though, how that light switched on, and I said, Oh, wow, my food plan and my abstinence can be different. Because my abstinence is something I take so, I mean, I take my food plan very seriously as well. But my abstinence is something I have to, you know, live or die by. God forbid my boyfriend dies tomorrow. God forbid something horrible happens to a family member. I lose my home. I lose my business, whatever. I have to abstain. And, and part of this program is learning to grow up and take responsibility for yourself. You know, in the past, it was like, Oh, I have a horrible business lunch that I have to go to. I'm going to just pad it with a little bit of this. Or, oh, my family's really annoying me, and I've got to go out, and my father, and uh, I'm going to order this. You know, the pot, having a big, fat, hairy pasta dinner is really going to solve the problem. And it never does, and it never did, and it never will. You know? I used to hear these people in the valley, no matter what, no matter what. I'm not as rigid and strict as some of my, my friends in the valley, but that's what works for them, you know? My food plan, I laughed. Somebody, you know, somebody was saying to me yesterday, oh, my God, you look amazing. You know, what's your food plan? And I said, well, this is what works for me. And I never say to my sponsors, this is what you need to do. If they're complaining about a certain thing, I might say, well, why don't you try this? And I've got a corker right now. Man, she's 24, 25. She knows it. She knows it all. And uh, it's, it's really tough. Being a sponsor is the most challenging tool and thing in this program. And I gently made some suggestions, and <clears throat> the wall of resistance. I'm like, okay, you know, she's got to do what she's got to do. My sponsor never said to me, you know, hey, Wendy, you're just kind of hanging out, and you're sort of putting weight on, and you're just kind of, you know, your ass is kind of half in the program. She never said that. And thank you, God, she never said that, because I wouldn't have come back, you know. It takes what it takes. You have to be in enough pain 
or willing to change to do it. And I, I never thought this could happen for me. I really didn't, you know. Um, and some people even come to me in the program, well, did you lose much weight? I mean, you know, because they can't imagine that I used to be 223 pounds, and some days I can't either, but that's why it's so important for me to take those pictures around with me because, you know, I'm slowly, the head, I know this isn't a body image workshop, but it takes the head a long time to, like, kind of match up with the body, and sometimes I'm looking in the mirror, and I, and I still am thinking, ooh, this is, you know, the 223-pounder, because, you know, no woman ever thinks she's going to be over 200 pounds. That's, like, everyone's worst nightmare. But the thing, the deal is, when I was that weight and as I was going down and then going up, you know, I lived life in my head. So I'm not one of those people who, you know, when I was heavier in the program was like, I hate myself. I look disgusting. And I'm really glad. But in a way, I think that's because I was so separated from my emotions. You know, before this program, I had, and even sometimes in this program, I had two emotions. I was either eating or I was crying. I didn't know what it felt like to be angry. Now I know that I have to feel those emotions and I have to walk through it anyhow, that I have to feel discomfort. Clients will piss me off. My family makes me angry. I have to, you know, I'm, it, it, this is continual work. You know, I always thought, well, the hardest thing in this program is to put down the food. It's not the hardest thing because when you put down the food and your head clears up, it's the continual maintenance of your spiritual condition. It's uncovering those defects. It's finding the causes and conditions. This is why I ate. So this is why this is why for me I need to have a food plan. You may might not need a food plan. I can only share my experience, strength, and hope. You know, because whenever I heard everyone saying food plan, food plan, I just heard diet. You know, and I heard people measuring, and I thought that's not freedom. That's not freedom. You know, but for me it is freedom. Um, and it, it's it's amazing. I just I, I can't tell you how how my life has radically changed when I really became willing to. For me, this is all part of third step, you know, um, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. And I almost said made a decision to turn my will. But see, in the past for me, it was an I program. It wasn't a we program. I didn't do outreach calls. I was at the meeting on time and I ran out afterwards because I didn't want to talk to people because it was like, oh, I don't want to talk to people because I don't, I don't want to be out there. I don't want to be vulnerable. But, you know, it's really about turning my will and my life over to God, taking small, tiny actions, you know deciding one day, you know what, I am scared of, mm-hmm. I, I promised mom I wouldn't swear too much in this, and I didn't, I think I said friggin' and everything, I've been very good today, um, no, just thinking, you know, all right, you know, I'm terrified, I am terrified to maybe not have like a starchy carb with my dinner meal, I'm really scared to do that, but I started making little steps like that, you know, but for me, I have to do what works for me. You heard me say I don't have table bread. Do I have sandwiches? You bet I have sandwiches because that works for me. It's, it's a measured portion. It's something that I can handle. You know, I try not to play around with duck food. I was in New York, and, and duck food is what a friend calls stuff. If it looks like a duck, talks like a duck. I'm walking in New York about a week and a half ago, and I remember, you know, some of my sponsors love to play with frozen yogurt, and she knows it makes her crazy, but she loves to play with it, you know. And I'm walking by the Tasty Delight. It's sugar-free. It's fat-free. It has so few calories. Hey, it's even kosher. But guess what? And I don't care about that. But, but guess what? For me, it's freaking ice cream. And I know what happens to me when I start thinking just a little bit, you know, just a little bit. And I rem- I'm reminded of um, that portion in the big book. I used to hate hearing this. It was so ugly. It was so ugly to me. Hearing more about alcoholism. We're like people who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. I didn't want to hear that. But you know what? I'm not normal. Okay, I'm going to take my jacket off. I'm going to do a little strip show for you. Okay? This might look normal. 
this is never going to be normal. This is going to get slowly balanced with time and if I turn to my higher power. But I am not normal. And if I think for a split second that I've got it, you know, I was talking to my sponsor on the phone the other day. My mom heard the conversation in the car. I said, you know, I'm at the point, I don't know if I said I'm exactly at maintenance yet. It would be nice to, you know, take off a few more. But I'm not tripping over it, you know. I'm at the point where a lot of people say, screw it. I'm out. I'm done. You know, I've got this spiritual thing. I've, I've taken off the weight. But I can tell you I've been here 12 years, and I'm not going anywhere. And I still do five meetings a week because that's what it takes. You know, I recently completed a 90 and 90. What a gift to give to myself, you know, to be with you guys. Because OA people are my family. You understand me, you know. My boyfriend's overweight, but he's not an overeater. He doesn't care about food. Some days he has one meal. He doesn't care. You know what I mean? I used to get angry and upset. He didn't want me to – he said, don't buy all that junk for me. You know, I, I don't care. And isn't that amazing that I cared because the guy equated food with love, but food is not love. You know, higher power is love. The people in this room are love. The food is never, ever going to fix it for you. Please believe that and please keep coming back. Thanks. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, is the basket basket making its way around? Okay. Well, when, when, it, when you're finished with it, bring it up here, and we'll start when Jerry finishes. And that brings us to our next speaker, which is Jerry. Hi, I'm Jerry. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Jerry. Um, let's see. Circle of life, food plan, and abstinence. Everybody hear me okay? Good. Um, first of all, it's an honor to be here. How many people have heard me a couple of years ago, I think I was here? Okay, nobody. That's good. And uh, so what I'm thinking is I could tell anybody's story and you wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> but uh, I, I have something to offer. And uh, yesterday it was uh, comprehend the word serenity. And the rest of it, I will know peace. And no matter how far down the scale I've gone, I could show how my experience can benefit others. And that's what I'm going to try to do, is just share my experience, my strength, my hope. Um, also try to stick to the uh, topic of a food plan and abstinence. And uh, if you could tell me when I have three minutes left, uh, I'll wrap it up, you know, within three minutes. Um, I'm from Santa Barbara, and I've been in OA this August 8th, five weeks from today, I'm taking a, I'm taking, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to take a chip for 34 years. And my thing is, is that I've always come back to OA. I've never had a gap in my 34 years of uh, coming to this program. I'm not going to say abstinence. I'm not going to say of sticking to a food plan. But I've been coming back no matter what for almost 34 years now. And when I came into OA on August 8th in 1972, that was in, in uh, Mineola, Long Island, and it was called the OA Westminster Group. And I heard a couple of, eh, and uh, some of you might, uh, some of the old timers might know what that was. And it was, uh, let's put it this way, without getting into too much history, the OA Westminster Group made the Howe Group look like a binge. It, it, it was very, very, uh, uh, it was very strict, to say the least. No flour, no sugar, 
no bread, no wheat. And uh, people were losing weight like crazy. And one day they, they said that uh, they were going to allow wheat germ on the diet. And uh, that's what it was. It was a diet back then. And it was a food plan. You know, I prayed to my food plan. And the gray sheet was my higher power. It really was. And it did its work. I took off, oh gosh, from almost 400 pounds, I got down to 165 pounds. And uh, people were losing weight right and left. You know, some people were complaining that they lost body parts. That's how quick it was. You know? <laughs> this one woman turned around. She said she lost her ass. You know? <laughs> and one guy complained about something else, which I'm not going to talk about. Uh, but the reason I mention this is that, you know, it eventually caught up with me. You know, just practicing a diet did catch up with me eventually. And I put back my weight, and it was pretty tough to come back to OA day after day, week after week, as I was putting on all this weight. And I, one day I woke up, and I was back to 400 pounds. And I couldn't believe it. Here I am. I was this, I'd say there's no gurus. I was a guru. You just weren't around back then. That's all. Um, I'm looking at Wendy right now, who was talking about guru, and I'm, I thought I was a guru. You know, that was my problem. You know, the humility was not there. And I heard a great acronym for denial. Don't even know I am lying. And that's a good one. I did not even know I am lying. Denial. I was in denial of everything. I never thought that I could, you know, put my weight back on. I thought that all I have to do is come to meetings and that's it. They say, keep coming back. I did. I kept coming back. But because I might be in a stable doesn't mean I'm a horse. And because I'm in a garage doesn't mean I'm a car. And just because I go to meetings doesn't mean I'm in recovery. But you know what? I'd rather be having a problem with my food and with my program in OA than outside of OA. I've never heard of anybody coming back to OA after, you know, having a tough time and saying, you know, I just couldn't stay, I couldn't stay. But I never heard of anybody saying, it was a great time out there, and I had a ball, but I'm just coming back to meetings just to like you know I'm here. You know, it's usually pretty tough to keep coming back, but that, that was my goal. And now I'm living the goal again the last 12 years, 10 years now, 10 years. I've been around this weight, 200 pounds, about 165, or about 200 pounds now, for the last uh, 10 years. And it took keep coming back and, and not concentrating too much on the food plan, but concentrating on the abstinence. And to me, the abstinence is threefold disease. It is a physical, it's a spiritual, and it's an emotional disease. And I remember, gosh, I used to break my abstinence. or Yeah, it was called breaking your abstinence if you weren't great on your food plan. I would break my absence, and they said, okay, you can't speak anywhere. You have to wait 30 days before you can pitch. You can't, you know, uh, take any sponsees on. So I, I would wait. I'd do my 30 days. I'd get a chip. I tell you, I had so many chips. I had a lot of chips. I, I thought I could open up a Las Vegas casino with all those chips I was taking. And all I did was take chips, break my abstinence, and break my absence, and take the chips, and it was up and down. It, it was... So now my abstinence, and I tell people, define what your abstinence is, and don't say it's your food plan only. 
Now, my abstinence has been coming back no matter what for 34 years. Now, you may say he's fooling himself, but you know what? That's my abstinence. And that's what's kept me without guilt and without shame. Before I came into OA, I used to take the fat on my body, and you saw it like some of those pictures going around, how big I was. I used to take the fat on my body and punch it and scratch it and pinch myself. And I was all black and blue. I hated the fat. I hated myself. One thing I have not done in 34 years since August 8th of 72 was hit myself or punch myself ever again. Because I found out I have a disease. Now, this isn't Cancer Anonymous, but I'm going to tell you something. January of this year, just six months ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. Colon cancer and liver. And uh, I'm, I'm a stage four, only because uh, it, it's two different areas that I have this cancer. February 6th, about four months ago, four and a half months ago, I had surgery to take out the colon cancer and some of the liver. They say they got it all. i got to believe that they, they say they got it all. I'm on chemotherapy right now. I take my chemo every day. And the reason I'm mentioning this is I had no shame when I found out I have cancer. But how many people go around and say to somebody, you know what, I have a disease called compulsive overeating. Why is that so shameful when that is a true disease just as well as cancer or any other disease? I'll never know why. So my chemotherapy is taking those pills, but my chemotherapy here is having a food plant, making phone calls, being a sponsor, having a sponsor, doing service, practicing anonymity, doing service, literature, writing. I'm not that great on the writing, I've got to admit, but my sponsor told me years ago that, and we had seven tools back then, and then we came up with writing as an eighth tool. He said to me that if you have at least five out of the seven tools, your food plan will fall into place. And you know what? You could probably go out there and say, well, this guy Jerry said five out of seven, but I'm going to eat anyway and show him that it did. You know, I'll make the phone calls, I'll go to meetings. And, but you know what? Seriously, if you do practice at least half of the tools, the food plan and, the, and your food plan will fall right into place. It's, a, it's being active, being part of, participating in my own recovery. You know, nowadays you could slap $50 down on the table and say, here, change my oil. Or, you know, we're a society now of, of paying for whatever we want. You can't pay for this. That's why we, you know, we don't have dues or fees. You know, the best things in life are free. And I was so skeptical when I came into OA. What kind of group is this that doesn't charge? They must be desperate. And then down the road, they'll, they'll ask for a lot of money. Now I hear it's up to $3 they're talking about. Wow. Suggestion of three dollar donation. How much does a Big Mac cost now? You can go to the dollar menu now if you're cheap and get the dollar menus. And people complain about giving two to three dollars. I mean, what kind of thinking is that? That's my disease talking. I owe OA a lot. I really do. OA has been my family. It's been my support. I had more people coming up visiting me in the hospital this February, you know, with the cancer surgery. And the guy in the next bed said, who are all these people that keep visiting me? He thought I was a pimp, you know, a lot of... A lot of young, beautiful women would come over, give me a kiss, drop some flowers, and leave. He said, is there any money in those flowers? And 
And I said, no, I, and, and he heard about OA, you know, he heard, the, he heard the lingo. He says, oh, you know, my sister used to go to that. He says, I might even start going to something like that myself. I said, sure, why not? You know, it's carrying the message to the next suffering person. And we don't know who's a compulsive overeater and who isn't. This isn't Overweighters Anonymous. This is Overeaters Anonymous. You don't have to be 400 pounds like me to come into OA. But, you know, a lot of our people nowadays have most of that fat between their ears. You know, it's not the ones that are visible like me, but you can see the fat on my body. But a lot of people have that disease of, of you know, just being a compulsive overeater or a compulsive undereater or a binger, bulimia. We've, we've come full circle, circle of life, and we found out that abstinence is just a way of life now. And I do have a food plan. I have three meals a day and two snacks. And uh, my exercise is I have a bad back and, and bad uh, uh, neck from all these surgeries I've had being overweight for so many years. I go swimming every day at the YMCA. I do one hour of movement. And uh, that's great for me. You know, I, I, I never wanted to do any exercise. That's part of my food plan. Part of my abstinence is going swimming. And the people I sponsor now, I tell them, have a food plan. Have a plan. But I don't tell them what to eat. And I had a sponsor who, you know, was very strict. He used to you know, say, what did you eat? And I used to lie. I said I had uh, wheat germ and yogurt and uh, I was having milkshakes and Heroes submarine sandwiches. And he says, you don't look like you're having uh, what you say you're having. And I, and I said, are you judging me? He says, yes. You know, sometimes we can be too nice to the people that uh, we sponsor. You know, we don't want to, you know, put them in denial either. You know, sometimes knowing the truth is okay as long as it's done with dignity and love. So is it important to have a food plan? You bet. Is it important to have abstinence? Even more so. I never thought that I would have a higher power. I thought I knew it all. I was a pretty smart guy. You know, I did well in school and had pretty good jobs, you know, I'm a retired hospital administrator. But I didn't know the first thing about being honest with food. I'd rather tell you how I fudged on my income taxes or what sex position I like, but don't ask me what I ate. <laughs> it's a very tough thing to be honest about food. But when the people I sponsor, I tell them, be honest with me. That's the only requirement. Because I knew it was difficult for me to be honest. I said, if you're going to have, you know, 100 ice creams a day, tell me. I'm not going to judge you. I just hope that you can go down to 99 the next day. And it's progress, not perfection. And I, I, I sort of dislike the old saying of, you know, uh, stick with the winners. You know, it sounds like this big elite club, stick with the winners. We used to have this group of people that, I'm not from the San Fernando Valley, but I would go down there, and they'd sit, sit in the front row, and their sponsor was, you know, one of these Nazi people. And uh, they were the A-team. They were called the A-team. And not many of them are back anymore because their food plan was their higher power. And they used to talk about stick with the winners. My thing is now I want to win with the stickers. People like me and you. I know a lot of people like me that keep coming back no matter what. It's easy to come back when the food plane's going away and you're a speaker somewhere or you know, you 
you're doing some sort of great, but what happens when you're not feeling that great about yourself? And um, how many, how, how much time do I have? I think that if we all did great, it would be a very boring program. But who wants to say that they're having a problem? You know, no one. No one likes to admit complete defeat. And we go back to step one every day. Every day is a brand new day. Every day is step one. I hear people saying they're on their eighth and ninth step, but their you know their food plan is all screwed up right now. It's, be pretty difficult for me to do self-evaluation or self-analysis or do an inventory when I'm eating. I'm not saying don't look at the steps, but I am saying is you might be a little bit too hard on yourself when doing these steps if you're not in, on your food plan. And I was going to say if you're not abstinent, but abstinence again is threefold. I'm going to keep hammering that in. Abstinence is not just the food plan. And I think that if we all felt that way, we wouldn't have that shame and guilt when we mess up. And the word diet, D-I-E-T, the first three letters is to die. You know, and I've always thought about that. I always felt deprived because I had to be on a diet. Now I feel like I'm doing good things for myself. When I came down with this cancer, the old Jerry would have said, that's your opinion, I know better and leave. Well, they told me if I didn't do the surgery right away, I had six months to live. Now it's who knows. You know? But I have to practice my tools. Go to the doctor, get the MRI on July 5th. And if you remember from Jerry speaking here July 5th, say a little prayer that my MRI comes out good for my liver. Because without your help, I'm nowhere. And that was the thing. The wisdom to know the difference in that serenity prayer. You know, it's like, what is the wisdom? I always thought the wisdom was this man with a long beard, you know, and a, and a staff. You know, walking around the mountains like Bin Laden. You know, I thought that that was a higher power. You know, no no political stuff here. Now. But now I know better. The wisdom to know the difference is who to go to to ask for help when you need help. I certainly wouldn't go to an optometrist for my cancer. Just like I wouldn't go to a commercial weight group for my compulsive overeating. Commercial weight groups are great for people that aren't compulsive overeaters, like Wendy's boyfriend, for example. Some people do well just with a little bit of a food plan, and that's it. Some of them don't need emotional and spiritual help. Some of them already have that. Me, I needed it on every level because I thought I knew all the answers, and I didn't. My best thinking kept me at 400 pounds for years. What kind of serenity did I have back then? Not too much. But at 399, I knew I was on the way. And I wasn't going to get off that train again to find out. You know, I've suffered too much with this disease. And now I struggle. You know, it's okay to struggle, but to suffer is not an option for me anymore. Because I know the answer. And any time I've gone out and eaten... It's pretty tough to mix, you know, a belly full of food with a whole bunch of program. It's like if you're here for the first time, I've already instilled a little bit of something into you that you'll never go out there and eat in peace again. You'll say, that guy, boy, what did he, you know, you'll never eat in peace again. And uh, I don't know what to say to newcomers. Is you know, keep coming back. You know, don't, don't, don't feel like, you know, you despair because one day you're not doing as well as you wanted to or... 
somebody told you that you're not doing as well as you want. We, we do have a lot of people that like to have their opinion about how we're doing. <laughs> you know what opinions are like, don't we? And um, I'm just very grateful to be here. I'm just grateful that I have you guys and that I have a program. And I do have a higher power in my life today, much better than I ever imagined. And uh, I want to thank Roseanne. And I want to thank all those old-timers that have been around, and they keep coming back, like Susan, 40 years. I was going to say, when am I ever going to catch up to her? (laughs) But this is not a competition thing. And somebody said to me, Jerry, you know, you speak very well, you know, you, you do, you, you, you have a good story, you, you know. And I think, you know, they don't know. They don't know. I just said I've been around a while and I feel comfortable talking. That's all it is. You know, every one of us, no matter how eloquent we might sound or how wonderful we might recite the big book, remember one thing. We're all here because we're not all there. <laughs> Thank you. questions from the Ask It Basket for 15 minutes. Um, and the first one. Okay. Uh, how have you dealt with food? that hadn't given you a huge problem in the past that are now becoming an issue. Well, the first thought that comes to mind is what we've heard as we've gone along. When in doubt, leave it out. That's what comes to mind first for me. Um, You know, I can remember one time, uh, my husband and I were on a trip when we were in Washington, D.C., and we were walking to Georgetown every day, and we were going by this uh, place, and there was a food item there. I thought, I'm sure I can eat that now. I've been absent four or five years. So I thought, when I wrote my food plan down that night, I put that down. And what was interesting about it, the next day I had that, I had, I think, two bites, and I thought, I don't even like this. It was like a real awakening. Um, Oh, in regard to the foods, do you put them on your I'll lose my absence if I eat them uh, or just practice progress, not perfection is like why then go? Um, you know, sometimes there has been foods that I thought I could eat. There was something I thought not about a year or so ago that I could eat within 24 hours and I wrote it down. You know, I'm going to try this. I wrote it down. I realized within 24 hours I couldn't eat it. So, um, I mean, that's practice. And what uh, Jerry and Wendy were saying is so true. I mean, I would have given up if every time I did something that wasn't exactly on track, you know, um, I would have left. You know, but I kept coming back. 
and I would tell my sponsor if I was off track, and it really helped. Okay, my message is, thank you, Wendy. You spoke to me because I'm young and feel lonely. Um, are you honest to your friends? Do you tell everyone that you have a food plan? How can you go to parties and socialize? Okay, well, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not so ashamed uh, that I'm a member of this fellowship, so I would say everyone pretty much near and dear to me. And I've even revealed myself to others who, you know, just, just in business or just people who I think might want to know or need to know. So in, with regards to going to parties and socializing, I find them... Um, it's kind of funny. I know it sounds funny because I'm only 35. The older I get, the less I actually want to go out. Woohoo! let's go to a party. But I find that most of the time, you know, parties tend to start. Most parties that I'm invited to, things aren't really like at dinner time. And so, or say if a party starts at 7, you don't have to be the first one there at 7. And this is what I tell my sponsees because this is what I've done over the years. Um, you know, sort of like the big book says, do I have any good business reason or whatever going to this place? If it's a party where you don't really care for the host, you don't necessarily have to go. But if it's a party where you know you can bring to the, the party, um, I recommend have your dinner first. Go and just have water or soda. You know, if you're not an alcoholic and feel like having a glass of wine, okay. You know, that's, that's pretty nebulous, you know what I mean? But because we're over Reader's Anonymous, I can't, you know, endorse or whatever, alcohol or not. But um, I find that when I go to a party and I've already eaten and that's taken care of, it frees up my mind to enjoy the people and to really listen to people. And if you're feeling shy and nervous, just, you know, ask someone how they're doing. Go to the person who looks uncomfortable and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. How are you doing? Um, and I find that to be helpful. And, you know, I don't always say to people specifically, I have a food plan. But if people say, oh, hey, come on, this bread is awesome. Why don't you have some? Nah, no thanks, because if I had some of the bread, there would be none left for you. That kind of thing. Make a joke out of it. Thanks. Jerry, can you comment on listening to a sponsor who has what you want rather than trying to quote unquote define it for yourself? Can you comment on listening to a sponsor who has what you want rather than trying to quote unquote define it for yourself? Okay. Well, it, it seems as though they're asking you know, if it's okay to follow your sponsor's food plan. And uh, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. There's no right and wrong to, for any food plan. But uh, usually I tell the people that I work with to uh, list three types of foods as if, you know, like the traffic lights, red, yellow, and green. The reds are the ones that you know will set you off. And the yellows are, you know, a little more cautious. And the greens are ones that you don't really have a problem with. But... We used to have a girl years ago, we called her Salad Bar Barbara. And she would go to the salad bars and eat salads. And she gained 100 pounds on eating salads. So, you know, you can be in denial of anything, of any food, really. And uh, I guess it's like using somebody's toothbrush. It's pretty personal. <laughs> you know? And I think it's best to have your own food plan. But, you know, the sponsor's food plan might, you know, might be okay. But down the road, you might decide, well, I don't like doing it exactly the way my sponsor does it. And uh, 
you know, have something tailored for yourself that works for you because you have to live with this for the rest of your life one day at a time then. Thanks. Okay, several questions here are similar. Please describe a sample of your food plan and then and now and how it's evolved. Uh, I think I mentioned that when I started, there was a dignity of choice, and I used the basic four. And uh, now we have the, a dignity of choice, and I use more or less basic one. The little, I probably, some things I don't eat as much. And, um, and when I started, I definitely was three meals with nothing in between. Now, there's one stack I will allow myself, and I don't have that often. And um, the other thing is when I was two years into recovery and I started doing a little experimenting, I kept hearing this other food plan and I thought, oh, that's what I have to evolve to if I'm going to feel like I've arrived, you know, because that seemed like that's all I was hearing. But, you know, we only hear, I guess, what we want to hear at times, you know. And uh, I tried that food plan. I thought, well, everybody else seems to be doing it. And I was right back to 15 years old again. I had all kinds of intestinal problems. So I had to stop and get back on what I was on. And that's what I, I did. I've been on that plan ever since and grateful to have it. I have a sponsee who desperately wants to be abstinent but can't put down sugar for more than one day. I'm encouraging her to do her best work the steps to forgive herself. What else could I do or say to help her? Now, this is a really tricky question, and that's why I think I decided to take it, because it's very hard. Um, if you and the sponsor have, sponsee have spoken at length and have really determined that sugar is her poison, and she says she wants to be abstinent but, but says she cannot put it down, I don't think she's ready. And if you've been working with this person for a while and you're trying to help, um, I think sometimes you need to let people go. And this was very hard. I had to let go of my first sponsee this year. My sponsor was always encouraging me, don't ever fire a sponsee. It wasn't about the sugar issue, but it was about the fact that we had a set time to speak um, every day, and she continually missed that time. And it was very disrespectful of my time because I had other women who wanted to work with me. And I, kept, and I said, do we need to switch this to another time? No, 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 I'll call you. I'll see you at the meeting. But she never showed up because she was not willing to take action or even willing. And, um, you know, maybe the sugar really isn't her poison. It's kind of like, I'm not saying fire, go ahead and fire your sponsee. Please don't, don't think that. But if the relationship isn't working for you and the sponsee just cannot listen to you or will not listen to you, she may not be ready. Um, and that's a very hard thing to face. But sometimes we need that to have a sponsor say, you know what? I've tried to help you. I'm offering you my experience. My experience is that you're telling me you're a sugar addict, but if you cannot put it down for just one day, because this is a one-day-at-a-time program, I don't know how I can help you. Maybe someone else can help you. And that's tough love, but sometimes we have to do that here. Thank you. This one is saying there's a, it sort of went with Wendy's uh, question. The second part of this is, 
there's a food I love that I can't give up completely. Can I have it occasionally and still be abstinent? And you're laughing because I, I think it's a very good question. You know, you you love the food, you you don't want to give it up completely, and you have it, you know, once in a while. You know, we're patterned after that of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we're not alcoholics. We're compulsive overeaters. And uh, I think alcoholics and compulsive overeaters have their each separate issues. But, you know, the ism is, is the same. The, the disease, the ism, I call it, is, is the same. Um, I never want to tell anybody that they can't have something. And I never fire anybody either. But I do understand, too, that, you know, my time is important. And, and it says in the big book that sometimes, you know, we have to make room for people who really want it. But I've also found that I've never had more than I could handle, so I've never had to fire anybody. Usually I'll tell them, you know, have your food ready for what you're going to eat today. Tell me how you did yesterday. So I, I, I have them do projections and then actuals, just like a business. You know, projecting what you're going to eat for the day. And then the next day tell me what you actually ate. And there's no crime in changing it. There's no crime in changing the food as long as, um, you know, you, you have some honesty with it. But, you know, to keep having a food that you know you can't give up, you, you might realize that maybe that food is your higher power right now. And pray to that food because you're replacing it with your higher power, really. And if it's really giving you that much of a problem, you, you can't ask God to remove that. Some people think that that's too uh, minor, too nebulous to ask your higher power. There's, there's nothing my higher power won't uh, do for me. And uh, I don't know. It's like I, I've never been. Given, so when these people call me and they can't, you know, stick to what they wanted to eat or what they're going to eat, they usually don't call anymore. And I tell them, if you can't call two, three days in a row, just know we could still be friends, but let's not put the label for us as sponsor and sponsee. And we just go on our ways and we could see each other at meetings, and then when they're ready again, they've come back. I never want to shut the door on anybody or make anyone feel like they're not doing it, quote, correctly. So that's my take on it. I just want to thank all three of our speakers once again. Now we have 15 minutes for three-minute shares. Please limit your share to three minutes and please stick to the topic. Please be sure that you sign the tape release form as you come up here. I'm Jim. They call me Big Jim, Overeater. I've been uh, I've been an overeater all my life, but I didn't know it till I heard about OA. And I know I would do very good. The problems came up. My worst problem was people dying. 
And that would set me off on a big binge. I've been in a way about four years now, four and a half. First year I lost 60 pounds, somebody died, gained it back. Next year I lost another 60, somebody died, and I gained it back. And so nobody wanted to deal with me because I was, you know, pretty, uh, did the same thing over and over. And so one Christmas I said, I'm not going to overeat this Christmas. Um, I've been programmed, you know, to eat and roll on the floor and then eat some more. And, and so this year I didn't. And I went through it, and it was the hardest thing I ever did. And all of a sudden, this uh, car salesman jumped up on my shoulder, and he talked to me. He said, looky there, your higher power didn't even help you. Look how hard that was. And he was so slick, I sided with him. I said, that's right. He didn't help me at all. That was the hardest thing I ever did. So I quit meditating. I quit praying. The next month, three people died. And I said, why did I listen to that car salesman? You know how they are. They can sell you a car with no motor sometimes. And so I was talking to the wall. I said, why did I listen to that? Why did I do that? I was, I was really spiritual and, and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, a voice uh, came out in my ear. It was very loud. And it said, you was looking for an excuse to overeat. I said, well, I dare you talk. That was a higher power talking. So I shut my mouth. And did you know, I haven't fell off the wagon since then. When it comes down to the higher power talking to you like that, and a, vo and a strong voice, you take heed. That is the last lesson. And so, I was at a party, and, every, and when the ladies were leaving, and they had the cake with jello and stuff in it, and they said, well, here's your cake, Jim. I said, no, I can't eat that. She said, why? I said, if I eat that piece of cake, I'll go on a binge and I'll die. I have just your heart failure, and all I need to do is gain 100 pounds. I'm a dead man. And I said, I can't take a chance. And they said, ooh. You know, I was just playing with them. And so they said, good, Jim. We're glad that you can, you know, resist. And so that's what I did. And I, um, I was... Since then, I've been um, the one thing that's kept me in OA. I go five times a week, and my secret is I speak at every meeting. Because if I don't, I lose my confidence. Cut it. I lose my confidence. Even if I don't feel good, I, I report in. And that's what has saved me, is to report in and talk a little bit at every meeting. Again, I don't get cold feet, and I can keep going. Thank you. Yeah, my name's Susie. I'm an anorexic bulimic compulsive overeater. Hi. And one of the things I love about this program is that everyone gets to define their own abstinence. Everyone gets to define their own clothes plan, and everybody's okay with how they do it. So. 
you know, when I came in the program 19 years ago, I was an anorexic bulimic, couldn't keep any food down, binging and purging 30 times a day, a total disaster. And so for me, my absence had to be real. I was so used to being, when I was anorexic, being so strict and so rigid, I had to learn to move to the other side to be more relaxed with my food, to be more balanced. So it started with just saying that my absence is no starving, no missing meals, and then no binging and purging. So that meant that, you know, first it was just no purging. And so there were times when I binge and I had to just sit with it and be miserable. And it only took a couple times before I thought, I don't want to do that again. And so then I stopped the binging. But I had to be really gentle with myself. I called in my food that I had eaten that day. That For the first six months, I binged and purged every day. And I would just call it in and tell her and be honest about everything I binged and purged and see that I didn't have to be ashamed anymore. So it didn't work for me to call in what I was going to eat because that was when I was very rigid as an anorexic. That would have been part of my disease, not my recovery. It worked for me to call after. And it worked for me to not eat it standing up. That was something I knew. Eating out of containers didn't work. So those, those are part of my food plan. And then over the years, it's changed. It really needs to be between me and my higher power. And sometimes foods will, will become a problem. Other times they won't. So for me, it's about being gentle with myself. And, you know, it's funny. I've never been to one of these in the 19 years in program because sometimes I feel so different. I know there are people who eat like me that don't have just three meals a day or nothing in between and who don't call them food. I know they exist. And I would love to connect with other people who do, because I don't want to feel like there's something wrong because I eat differently, you know. And so I'm glad that I came anyway and that I know there are, there are other people who eat like me. And for me, it's really about why I'm eating, not what I'm eating, because there are times I can eat salad compulsively. So I have to ask my higher power, you know, ask for help. What am I feeling? What do I need? And for me, I can eat sugar at times and be okay. It's, am I eating it compulsively? If I'm eating it compulsively, then that's not abstinence. If I'm at a party and you know, I'm at a wedding or something, I have a piece of cake and I, I don't, I'm not even thinking about it. It's not an obsession for me. So then it's okay. But it wouldn't be okay to just eat it in the morning. I have my plan of eating helps. It helps to have it because that means that I don't just eat sugar in the morning. I don't buy sugar and bring it in the house. It's um, all about why I'm eating it, like I said. So um, I just am grateful to be here. And, and anyone who knows people who you like me, I would love to um, know about them. Thank you very much. Hi, my name's Lorraine. I'm a compulsive overeater. Very grateful to be here today, and thanks so much to the speakers. Um, just to qualify, I've... Um, Thanks to the grace of this program, I'm maintaining an 80-pound, 75 to 80-pound weight loss, uh, and I have for six years. And uh, I've been, thank you, and I've been maintaining my bottom line abstinence for eight years, which is a total miracle because I wasn't capable of doing that by myself for even one day. And what I wanted to say um, about compulsive eating is the way I think of my food is that part of it, is, like, is exactly like alcohol for an alcoholic. I'm a food addict, and there are certain foods that I cannot eat even one bite of. For me, it's chocolate and sugar and, um, and foods like that. So I treat them exactly the way I believe an alcoholic treats alcohol, that I can't have any of them ever. I can never eat chocolate socially without breaking my abstinence because it makes me crazy. And as, as we say, you know, one bite is too many and a thousand bites is never enough. 
And then I'm also a compulsive eater, of course, um, and so I can be compulsive about any food. So I have to put safe containers around the food, which means, you know, setting times. Sometimes, you know, when I eat breakfast, when I eat lunch, when I eat dinner, if I possibly can. Um, there's foods I struggled with peanuts for two years, but I wanted to be able to eat them, and they weren't one of my alcohol-type foods, so I finally found a way, a quarter cup, giving it a little shake, so I wasn't piling as many peanuts as I could in the quarter cup. And um, so I do things like that, and I eat vegetables three times a day, which some people think is nuts, but it works for me, and I love it. And it, it's given me, as some people were saying here, such freedom, such freedom to put those boundaries around the food, and I love my food, and... Um, and I enjoy it, and um, I get to be happy, joyous, and free. Thank you. Hi, I'm Mary, compulsive eater. And someone next to me was saying, well, what exactly do we eat to be abstinent? <laughs> so um, I have been abstinent for 17 years now, and my abstinence is three meals a day and an optional snack and nothing in between. And But when I'm traveling internationally, I have to eat more than three times a day because I'm up for basically 24 to 40 some hours. And so I go on the rule of uh, not eating facing my meals to where there's five hours, at least four to five hours between a meal. And I find that about five to six hours, I start feeling physically bad. I start having a headache, I'm grouchy, I'm complaining. And so I'll have to have something to eat. And I try to have proteins. That's usually what I find. So my breakfast is a protein, which is, like somebody said, a quarter cup of nuts. That was so freeing. I can have nuts today, but a quarter cup of nuts. I'll have a starch. I have to weigh and measure my starches. My cereal is a cup. My rice is a half a cup. My potato is a medium-sized potato. It's not a potato. Um, you know, and I weigh and measure my pretty much my starches. And the other thing that I do is I have uh, protein, which for me is sometimes at breakfast is, like I said, the nuts or a half a cup of cottage cheese. That's a protein. Then at lunch I have a protein, which is usually three ounces of chicken or three ounces of fish or three ounces of something that's protein, and vegetables. And I usually eat unlimited vegetables. And my salads at lunch are broccoli, spinach, snap peas, uh, their carrots, their cauliflower, their broccoli. I mean, I make a salad that is a salad. You know, it's not just lettuce. And so the more vegetables, and, and I pretty much know a plate of salad. And my dressing is a vinaigrette usually, and then I have a piece of fruit. And one piece of fruit is an apple. Just recently I got some Turkish apricots. And I didn't know what is a portion. And I could have easily eaten that whole pound of Turkish apricots. So I had to look in my book. And my, you know, uh, I have a ADA food plan book, and that's the program I'm on. And in that book, it tells you what is a serving, what is a healthy serving. And so I found out that four little apricot halves was what a serving is. So I would take the four, thank you, I would take the four and put them in a little baggie. 
and take them with me when I don't have time to eat an apple or peel an orange and have an orange. And then dinner is pretty much the same thing. And then I have the optional snack, which when I first got abstinent, I could not go from dinner at 6 o'clock until breakfast at 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock the next morning with exercise in there without having a snack. And when I was in a treatment uh, center for my disease, I'm a bulimic, and when I was in a treatment center, I was given a fruit and a yogurt at night. And that made all the difference in the world for me. And so now at night I will have a protein, which is usually a dairy, and a piece of fruit. And or some nuts. Sometimes it's some nuts, a couple of nuts. Sometimes I take soy milk. I found that soy milk is really helpful, especially later in the afternoon, which I mix it up with uh, a couple of teaspoons of um, instant coffee, and I can make an iced coffee, and that's wonderful. And that the soy milk really ties me over. And the other thing that I notice is that when I eat foods, I notice what my, how my body reacts. And if I react with a shaky feeling and uh, dis disassociation, I know I'm eating something high in sugar, and I'll look at the sugar content, and I know now that if something has over 35 or 40 carbohydrates, there's a hell of a lot of sugar in there. And so I look at, you know, the I go for portion sizes on the food product. Whatever the food product is, is if it says uh, seven crackers, I have seven crackers. So that helps me a lot, and I hope that's some information to help you out. Thanks for letting me share. I want to thank all the people who shared, um, as well as um, our speakers today, both for their, their shares and for the Q&A that they did. Now it's time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers, everyone who shared, and all that have done uh, service in this session. Please stand and join hands as we close the meeting with the OA Promise. I put my hand in yours. <laughs>